Usually we do sheets here on Wednesday night, and for the last couple days I tried sitting down and just doing the sheet thing, and it just wasn't flowing, and I thought, okay, Lord, you got something here you're going to do, so I'm just going to trust you on this. 27 and 28 are kind of a couple interesting chapters here because what happens here in chapter 27 is there's this vision that is given to Jeremiah and with this idea of this prophecy is this idea of the yokes. Now the time frame for 27 and 28, if you look here in verse 1 of chapter 27, says, In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and then in verse 1 of chapter 28, it says, It happened in the same year, at the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, and the fourth year in the fifth month, We have a tendency to read those things and just completely tune out. To put this in perspective, about 586 B.C. is when Babylon came down and eventually destroyed Judah. So this is about 10 to 15 years before that happened. So about 10 to 15 years after chapters 27 and 28 is when the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of Judah happened. Just to give you a little bit of background there, Jehoiakim and Zedekiah were some of the last kings of uh, Judah that they had. So that just sets the time frame. Now what happens here in chapter 27, what you see is this idea of the yokes. And what happens in verse 2, it says, Make yourself bonds and yokes and put them on your neck. And then what happens is send them out, verse 3, to the king of Edom, the king of Moab, the king of Ammonites, the king of Tyre, the king of Sidon, by the hand of the messengers who come to Jerusalem, Zedekiah, king of Judah, and command them to say to their masters, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Thus you shall say to your masters, I have made the earth, the man, the beast that are on the ground, by my great power and by my outstretched arm, I have given it to whom it seemed proper to me, and now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon." So basically what happens here is he's prophesying that all these kingdoms are eventually going to be taken over by Babylon, by Nebuchadnezzar. That's the prophecy that's given. The problem is, there's this false teaching that then pops up. Look ahead here in verse 9. Therefore do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your soothsayers, or your sorcerers who speak to you, saying, You shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie to you to remove you far from your land, and I will drive you out and you will perish. See, what happens is, as Jeremiah is giving out these prophecies of these yokes and these bonds, basically saying that Nebuchadnezzar is going to conquer everybody, there was these other prophets that popped up and said, nope, not true, not going to happen. Jeremiah says, that's a lie. He says, you need to listen to me, verse 11. But the nations that bring their necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will let them remain in their own land, says the Lord, and they shall till it and dwell in it. See, what Jeremiah says is, if you listen to me, and you accept this punishment, you accept this judgment that's coming upon you, and you wear this yoke, this burden, this bond of Nebuchadnezzar, you will make it through this, and you will be able to stay in your land. But if you reject this prophecy, verse 10, I'm going to drive you out of the land, and you will perish. What do we say out here always? In the midst of judgment, there's always grace. See, even though Jerusalem... And Judah was going to be utterly destroyed. God is saying, if you listen to me, if you accept this punishment, it will go better, you will live. If you reject this prophecy, if you reject me, you will then perish. And what happens is, as you see here in verse 12, he gives this same prophecy to Zedekiah, representing leadership. Jump ahead to verse 16, he gives the same prophecy to the priest, representing the religious leadership. So the people hear it. The political leaders hear it, the religious priestly leaders hear it, and it sums up very nicely at verse 22. They shall be carried to Babylon, and there they shall be until the day that I visit them, says the Lord, and then I will bring them up and restore them to this place. 
Jeremiah says, trust me on this. So that's the background. Pretty straightforward. Nebuchadnezzar is going to defeat all the land. If you accept this punishment from God, you will live. He tells the government. He tells the priests. He tells the people. Pretty straightforward. What happens, though, in chapter 28 is there's this guy by the name of Hananiah. Hananiah comes on the scene. Verse 1. Hananiah, the son of Azur, the prophet who is from Gibeon, spoke to me in the house of the Lord in the presence of the priests and of all the people, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two full years I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place and carried it to Babylon. And I will bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with all the captives of Judah who went to Babylon, says the Lord. For I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. There's a big problem here. Jeremiah just prophesied, Nebuchadnezzar is going to put everybody under a yoke, accept this prophecy and live. Hananiah just shows up and says the complete opposite of what Jeremiah just said. The complete opposite. So much so that just two years, you guys just have to suffer for two more years, Nebuchadnezzar is gone and Hananiah steps up to the plate and does this. And Hananiah has got a good name. Hananiah's name means God has favored well, that sounds good. Now, just stop and think about this for a second. You have two people standing in front of you, both things saying, thus says the Lord. The first prophecy, Nebuchadnezzar is taking over everybody. He's going to take you completely over, not just you, but everybody. You're going to be put in a yoke. You're going to be put in bondage, and it's going to last for a while until God brings you out. But if you just listen to me and accept this punishment, you'll live. The second prophecy, Guys, this is just going to go on for two years. God's going to break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, so don't worry about it. Now, which one are you going to listen to? And what happens here in chapter 28 is a story now. How do you deal with this? How do you deal with these personalities? Because look, Hananiah doesn't just do this quietly. Look one more time here, if you will, at verse 1. In the house of the Lord... In the presence of the priest and all the people, Hananiah steps up and publicly rebukes Jeremiah for what he's saying. He publicly stands up and says the complete, utter opposite in the presence of Jeremiah. Let me ask you this. Have you ever at home, at school, at work, maybe in church, have you ever been publicly rebuked or set and just put in your place? That is a difficult thing to go through. There's been times out here at church where someone has come up publicly and tried to set us straight publicly. And you sit there and you have all these different emotions going through your mind. One emotion is the emotion of being a Christian, of be calm, be cool, be collect, don't get angry. And then the other emotion is much more fun. It's a human. When he's done talking, I'll hit him. And it just seems better. And I've shared with you before that sometimes we get these things called anger fantasies. Well, they're going to say this, and then I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to unload on them for everything they've done over the last six months, and then everybody's going to go, ooh, you know, and it's going to be this wonderful thing. See, here Jeremiah is getting publicly attacked by Hananiah in front of everybody. Everybody. We're going to learn how to handle conflict tonight from Jeremiah. And what does he do? 
So, Hananiah gives the speech there, verse 5. Then the prophet Jeremiah spoke to the prophet Hananiah in the presence of the priests and the presence of all the people who stood in the house of the Lord. Jeremiah responds publicly, point one. What's he say? And the prophet Jeremiah said, Amen, the Lord do so. Now, I wasn't expecting that. What a response. I remember one time someone came up and addressed me in front of other people. They're upset at the church. You don't have a passion for worship. You don't have a passion for the lost. You don't have a passion for people. People are dying and going to hell all around you. And you as a church are just sitting here comfortably. And you guys are doing nothing. This church needs to get moving. And this church needs to get out there and make a difference in their community. You know what my response was? Amen. Pray for us. See, when someone comes up and attacks me or attacks the church, my initial response, I try to do like Jeremiah. Boy, you're right. We're probably weak in that area. Would you please commit daily to prayer for the church to have better outreach, better worship, better teaching, better pastors, better leadership? Would you please pray for us daily because we would cover your prayer. Now, I sound sincere in my heart. I'm probably really not. But that's what we do. I love Jeremiah's response. Amen. The Lord do so. But look what else he says. The Lord perform your words which you have prophesied to bring back the vessels of the Lord's house and all who were carried away captive from Babylon to this place. Jeremiah says, I love it. I agree with you. That would be wonderful. Can you imagine if Nebuchadnezzar just was around for two more years and then God stepped up and broke the, the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar? That would be wonderful. I agree with you. I've had people come up and attack me, the church, my character, and sometimes they'll come up and they'll say something to the effect of you personally. You know what? I've heard better teachers on the radio. I've had somebody say that to me. I said, you're right. I've heard better teachers on the radio too. Pray for me that I could be a better. And and that's a good response. But you also just don't agree to agree. Because look at verse 7. Nevertheless, hear now this word that I speak in your hearing and in the hearing of all the people. Basically, Hananiah... You wanted to do this publicly, so let's let's do this publicly. Verse 8, The prophets who have been before me and before you of old prophesied against many countries and great kingdoms of war and disaster and pestilence. As for the prophets who prophesied peace, when the word of the prophet came to pass, the prophet would be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. Jeremiah just backs off and says, very simply put, time will tell who's right. What a mature response. You think I'm an absolutely horrible, nasty person, and I am no good to the kingdom, and I'm no good in my walk and my faith? Time will tell. Because if that's true, as time goes on, you will be revealed to be God's greatest gift that has ever been given to mankind. But if time goes on, I may be revealed to be God's greatest gift that's ever been given to mankind. You know what? It happens not just in a prophetic battle. That happens at work, at school, at home. Your spouse comes up to you, tears you down for being a horrible spouse. You're right, there's things I need to work on. Time will tell, and I'm going to try to work on those things. Would you please pray for me to be that better spouse? And as time goes on, we'll see the changes that happen in me. That's maturity. That's a mature response. Jeremiah responded and just simply said, You know what? The past seems to show the prophets that were right were revealed to be right. The prophets that were wrong were revealed to be wrong. So time will show who's right and who's wrong. Now, mature, right? Now, have you ever had something where somebody's come up to you and has not been mature in the way they've handled it, 
They've act been ungodly, they've been unbiblical, so you've responded biblically. So you think, okay, I'm doing good. And then they go one step further. Verse 10, Then Hananiah the prophet took the yoke off the prophet Jeremiah's neck and broke it. Now we're getting a little personal. You're invading my personal space here. See, before you just said in words I was wrong. Hananiah is coming over to Jeremiah, literally taking off the yoke, taking it, and what I envision is a little Hollywood. I envision him taking that yoke off. I envision him taking it and throwing it down on the ground, being really dramatic here, and saying in verse 11, And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord. Even so, I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all nations within the space of two full years. See, now, if you're just sitting there, you're going to like Hananiah better. I bet you Hananiah was louder. I bet you he was more dramatic. He, he, I mean, he broke the yoke. That's pretty cool. I mean, this is Hananiah. His name means God is favored. Look at the response of Jeremiah in verse 11. And the prophet Jeremiah went his way. Do you realize how much of a man it takes in verse 11 to walk away from that? To not say anything? To not say, you broke my yoke, I broke your neck? You know, I mean, it, it, that is maturity. We can learn a lot from Jeremiah when you are publicly ridiculed, attacked, rebuked, to just step back in maturity and say, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go down to that person's level. Turn, if you will, if with me to Proverbs 14. Proverbs 14. We can learn a lot here. And there's just three simple verses in Proverbs I want to go through. Proverbs 14. On how, as Christians, we respond when we are attacked verbally, when people are doing things and they're trying to get us riled up, and maybe even doing it and thus saith the Lord. Proverbs 14. Three verses, 1 in 14, 1 in 15, 1 in 16. Verse 29, if you will, of Proverbs 14. He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, but he who is impulsive exalts folly. Think about that. Slow to wrath, great understanding, impulsive exalts folly. Do you know somebody who flies off the handle just over tiny little things? My goodness, it's difficult to be around them. It's difficult to have a conversation with them because you never know what's going to set them off. You never know what it's going to be. And so therefore, you're difficult to even go up to them. And maybe you have something you actually need to talk to them about and you're afraid to do it because you never know how they're going to respond. It says right here, if you are impulsive in your reactions to people, you're a fool. You're an absolute fool. Who, he who is slow to wrath has great understanding. One of the greatest traits a man or woman can have is controlling their emotions. Self-control. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. I don't know how many times I've heard in counseling or myself have said it. They got me so worked up I just couldn't control myself. Fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So what you're basically saying is your flesh got so riled up it overruled God. That's a bunch of baloney. You can have self-control in difficult situations, be it at words, at home, at work, at school, at church, wherever it is. Because we are slow to wrath, we have great understanding, we're not impulsive. We watch our words. Now, jump ahead to Proverbs 15, please. Verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, what would happen if Jeremiah would have said, Oh, Hananiah, you want to go toe-to-toe on this? Let's go toe-to-toe. 
No, Jeremiah, soft word. Hananiah comes over and breaks the yoke. Oh, now you want to get a little physical here. No, we're Christians. We're held to a different standard. See, this is the problem. Sometimes as Christians, we're looked at as weak. Because what happens is we don't get into the war of words with other people. We're weak. They yell, they scream, they cuss. We respond in love. See, I actually think it takes more strength to not respond than it is to respond. You know how easy it is to lose your temper? It takes no self-control to lose your temper. It's just let your emotions go crazy. To hold your tongue, to hold your peace, to hold back in an argument takes more strength than what you can ever imagine. Let's go to the next one. Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16. Verse 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Self-control. I don't know if you say it or not, but I would like you right now to never use the words again, I can't control myself. That's no longer true. She just gets me so riled up, I just start saying things and I don't mean it. Well, when he just gets going that way, I just can't help myself. Yes, you can. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. I am not going to sit up here and claim to have perfection in this area because I am weak sometimes in this area. And there's been times out here at church where someone has got me going and I get going right back at them. And I can remember times where Dawn has called me after a counseling appointment. She says, how'd it go? And I went, okay. And her first question is, she goes, did you yell at them? Did you lose your temper? And I'm like, I didn't lose my temper this time. You know, because emotions, we get emotional. And isn't it amazing? The people we lose our temper at, the person on the telephone that did not screw up the order had nothing to do with it. Absolutely nothing to do with it. We're mad at them. The person at the checkout line that had nothing to do with it, we're mad at them. The spouse, when I had a bad day that has nothing to do with my spouse or my kids, I take it out on them. I'm just not happy in life, so since I'm not happy in life, I take it out on my friends, my coworkers. That's a folly. That's a fool. That's not maturity. As believers, we're called to a different standard. As believers, we're called to respond to things differently than the way the world does. Jump back, if you will, to Proverbs 28. Note, Hananiah publicly attacked, rebuked Jeremiah. Jeremiah responded in peace and patience and good wording. Hananiah takes it to the next step. We left in verse 11, the prophet Jeremiah went his way. Now, if you were not just watching this prophet battle, would you not say, well, Hananiah won that one? I mean, look at Jeremiah. He didn't say anything. He just walked away. Hananiah told it to his face. Hananiah broke the yoke. Hananiah's high-fiving everybody. What did Jeremiah do? Jeremiah went home with his tail between his legs. He had nothing to say. What a weak, tiny man. What did Jeremiah do? Obviously, it looks like in verse 12, he went home and prayed. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah after Hananiah the prophet had broken the yoke from the neck of the prophet Jeremiah. What a mature man. Instead of responding in emotion, instead of responding in the flesh, he got away from the situation. And I think we can infer from verse 12, spend some time with the Lord. Can you imagine the next time a situation at home or at school or at work just starts to escalate and you feel that tension building up? If you would stop and just in your mind say, you know, I should probably just exit this scenario and just go spend some time in prayer with God and just practice what we just read in Proverbs 14, 15, and 16. 
Boy, what a mature response that would be. But the problem is we can't do that. Why? Because if I walk away from this discussion, she's going to think she won. If I walk away from this argument, he's going to think he made his point. No, you are a mature believer that has different standards and different morals, and you're going to go spend some time with the Lord. And look what happens, verse 13. Go and tell Hananiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, You have broken the yokes of wood, but you have made in their place yokes of iron. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I put a yoke of iron on the neck of all these nations. They may serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. I have given him the beasts of the field also. Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah, the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make this people trust in the lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will cast you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. So Hananiah, the prophet, died in the same year, in the seventh month. I think we know who won the battle there. Jeremiah responded accordingly. Now note, how did Jeremiah do this the second time around? He did it individually, one-on-one. I think there's a lot of wisdom there. Sometimes you need to respond publicly. Sometimes in a mix of people, you need to respond publicly because the Lord says this needs to be addressed Publicly, There's other times where even though it may be a public argument, you need to say to that person, can I talk to you one-on-one? Can I talk to you at a later time? Or maybe you just need to leave the situation like Jeremiah did. Go seek the Lord and then go talk to that person privately. Too often, when we get into arguments, we're no longer trying to just find truth. We're just trying to win in the court of public opinion. Well, this is what I told him. Well, this is what I told her. And what happens is all standards, morals, Christian response, attitude, love goes out the window to just prove I'm a man in front of a group of people. Jeremiah left in verse 11 looking defeated. But what happened just a, two months later? Hananiah is dead. Now that's not a teaching point on how to handle your enemies. The point is... Jeremiah responded in the Lord and in the Spirit and not in the flesh. He could have went down to Hananiah's level and had an argument right there in front of everybody, had the war of words. Nothing good comes out of that. It is always better to biblically respond in peace and patience and love. Let the Lord lead. Sometimes you say something. Sometimes the Lord says, don't say anything at this moment. Wait to a different time. Let the Lord lead. I just got two things I'm going to sh- quick passages before I close up. But does anybody have any quick questions, comments here, or anything with Hananiah or Jeremiah before we close up? Yeah, Jody. Yeah. Well, the priest at this time, obviously there were some major issues. That's why judgment was coming. You also have to remember back during this time, the role of the priest was not necessarily the role of a prophet. The role of the priest were to make sure the temple was run accordingly and that the sacrifices were done. And if you study out uh, certain prophets, especially the book of Malachi, these priests were fasting. These priests were praying. But God says basically there were empty fastings and empty prayers. They weren't doing it for the right reasons or the right motives. They were just doing it because that's what their job was to do. So... In essence, they were praying and fasting, but they were not seeking the Lord in their heart in any way whatsoever. And to be completely honest, and I'm not trying to get into a big subject here, and I'm not trying to be judgmental or pick on people, there's a lot of pastors that do the same thing. They show up every Sunday, they present a message, they, they say truth, but spiritually speaking on their own hearts, where's the seeking of the Lord? 
So the priesthood was basically a priesthood in name only. Anybody else got anything they want to say here before I close up? Two quick passages to close up, please. First one is James 3, if you would, please. James 3. And we're also going to be in Romans 12. I'm just going to read a couple verses here, make a couple quick points, and we'll get you out. James 3 and Romans 12. James 3 is very straightforward. The whole book of James is very straightforward. If you need a good spiritual slap in the face, James is the book for you. James 3, let's start in verse 14. James 3, verse 14. It says, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Just be honest. Look at your conversations. If your conversation is rooted in bitterness and envy and confusion, don't talk. Most of the time when I'm getting into an argument with somebody, it's because I'm bitter about what they said, I'm envious of something else, I'm confused and I don't know where the Lord's leading me, but instead of just keeping my mouth shut and praying, I just keep talking. So if there's bitterness, envy, anger, confusion, self-seeking, the Bible actually says that's demonic, stay away from it. Your response is supposed to be verse 17. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality and without hypocrisy. When I talk to someone, I'm supposed to say, are my words pure? Are they peaceable? Are they gentle? Am I willing to yield? Am I willing to accept the fact, you know what? I might be wrong on this. Am I willing to have mercy and good fruits? Or is it all about me and proving my point and making my point? We've got to be careful about that. Last one here real quick and then we're done. Romans 12, please. Romans 12. We just did this point a few weeks ago on Sunday, so it may be fresh in your mind. Romans 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. That word bless in Romans 12, verse 14 is where we get our English word eulogize, meaning that we're supposed to make an effort to say something good. There was years ago, there was a couple out here at church, and it was a guy and a gal, and it was very difficult to try to find something good to say about her husband. It really was. He was just one of those type of guys. I give this woman credit. She never spoke ill of her husband. And it would be hard to find something good to say about her husband. She blessed her husband. You may have bosses right now that it's difficult to find something good to say about them. Bless and do not curse. You may have siblings. You may have kids. You may have classmates. You may have a spouse where it's difficult to find something good. The Bible says, bless and do not curse. Because when you go down that path of being negative in your words and actions toward that person, that bitterness and that envy and that self-seeking is just going to overtake you. It is. Go ahead, verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things. Associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Well, of course I'm going to argue because I know I'm always right. I may not be. Verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Well, you raised your voice at me, I will raise my voice at you. You said words that were inappropriate, I will say words that are inappropriate. No, we repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Try to find something good. 
Here's the key, verse 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Do everything you can to have peace with all people. They may not want peace with you. You may do everything right. You may hold your tongue, you may watch your words, you may be patient, you may be loving, and they still do not respond accordingly. You still stick to the morals and standards that God has set up, and you live at peace with them. They may reject it, but you are doing what's biblically right. And lastly, verses 19 through 21, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Rather, give place to the wrath, excuse me, but rather give place to wrath, for his written vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Look at Jeremiah. Walked away. See, I, I, I can't walk away, Lord, because it looks like they won. No, walk away sometimes. God knows the truth. Verse 20, Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Some great, great passages there. Some great application on Jeremiah on how to deal with difficult, mean, nasty people. And you're going to run into them. You are going to run into them more than you can ever imagine. Help us to respond as Christians in godly love and wisdom. We're not going to get walked on, but we're also not going to go down to their level in words and actions and deeds. Anybody have any final questions, comments here about anything we went over? All right, let's pray and we'll let you guys go then. Heavenly Father, just thankful to be here tonight and help all of us. We all, Lord, will be around a difficult situation at one time or another. Help us to apply those verses of Proverbs and Romans and James. Help us to learn from the example of Jeremiah. Help us, Lord, to be godly in our response when people are ungodly towards us. Help us to truly live the life. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week and God bless.